0: I never mean to calls you,
1: 720 WGN. It's Amy Guth in for John Williams with you till 3 o'clock today. That, of course, that audio, I almost want to sit there and listen to it a minute, kind of gave me chills. That was when Prince played the Super Bowl halftime show.
2: In the Yeah, singing Purple Rain in the rain.
1: I might start crying right now, <laughs> hearing Prince.
2: Purple Rain, Purple, rain, purple rain.
1: What a loss. I still, like, Prince and David Bowie still, like, don't feel real to me because I don't want them to feel real.
2: I know. Uh,
1: but so the Super Bowl is upon us. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe it. If this, I don't even want to talk about January. Way too fast. Way too fast. Did, yeah, and well, yet felt like a year at the same I time. I know.
2: Well, you don't find yourself, like, lamenting, oh, I missed out on more January. We no. should, should be happy that it went by fast. But it's true. It's, it does feel weird.
1: I saw somebody post something like, "Uh, you know, all right. It's February 1st. January was the longest year I've ever seen or something like that. <laughs> that was
2: very true. That's everything now.
1: That's everything now. It's the it's the, the nature of things. A lot of information coming out of us, but uh, coming at us, rather. Um, there is a wonderful, um, wonderful list that Rolling Stone put out about Super Bowl halftime shows that ranked worst to best. And I think it's very, very funny. <laughs> that made me laugh because... Mostly because the first two things on it. They're they're saying the worst worst is the Black Eyed Peas from 2011.
2: Right, right.
1: Which uh, I remember that one.
2: I do. I don't remember you know, it being
1: that bad, but I, I remember it being good. But I remember being, I was there were kind, issues.
2: I looked through this list, too, and I was kind of feeling like they all blend together a little bit yeah. in my head because they do all have a similar... They work in a similar way, even though some are much better than others. They're all kind of the same thing.
1: Yeah, it's like so, sing, 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 pyrotechnics, sing, 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 flashy lights, sing, sing, sing.
2: Right, but if you do go back and watch... So I was like, yeah, I'm sure this one's like not great, but maybe it's not that bad. And then I was... Wa- <laughs> I think like, no, when it's it live, <laughs> you just get swept up in the fact that it's live. But when you go back to rewatch, you're like, oh, that was... It felt very leaden and like mm. and slow. Like, weirdly, like... Slow. <laughs> They're playing. uh You know, I got a feeling was their big hit at that time. That's right. It it, it was relatively new and mm-hmm. but also huge. So it, it made sense to sort of structure a halftime show around that song. Because everybody likes that song. That, that
1: song was the one that do you remember when bad. when Oprah took over Michigan Avenue and there was like a flash mob and a live show right at the Michigan Avenue Bridge. Mm. That that was the song that like the flash mob broke out. I yeah. was standing. Was... <laughs> I was standing in the Tribune Tower looking down from like the fifth or sixth floor. Or so.
2: It's Excuse a flash mob me. anthem for sure. It was it a
1: flash mob anthem. It was
2: engineered to play at every uh, wedding and, and bar mitzvah and whatever else Absolutely. for the rest of time. And, uh, you know, God bless them. But yeah, not a great. They, they don't dance, you know, and they don't really sing. And At that point, the... they weren't doing much rapping either, to be right. honest. So <laughs> what I mean, are you here for? Fergie was singing, but she didn't sound great, to be honest. And so the whole thing was just like, oh, this is—it was weirdly boring. The
1: other thing I think that stands out when might you... have
2: earned its title is the one. Yeah, that's I, right. I don't know. I, there's a lot of bad ones. The
1: thing that me... many things made me laugh about this list, but number two on the list, and again ranked from worst to best. Black eyed peas being worse. Red Without that is everything from 1967 to 1989,
2: <laughs> which is funny. Well, because if I understand correctly, that was before they really started like booking yeah. high profile artists that's to right. perform. It, it wasn't a thing. It was like marching bands and whatever. I don't know some other stuff. Uh, which, I'd actually be curious to see some of those. But
1: I know I would too. Like that doesn't sound like the worst thing. It yet. sounds okay. It doesn't always have to be a list. I think it would be show. fine. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, you got to flip over to Puppy Bowl at that point anyway. You know what I'm talking about?
2: Oh yeah. Oh, are you, you going? Do, do you have plans to watch the Puppy Bowl tomorrow?
1: Well, I mean,
2: it's I'm, good in like 20 second. That's increments. right. You
1: can, I'm not going to stare at it the whole day. There
2: have been times where I was like, "Let's settle in and watch the Puppy Bowl." And <laughs> as someone who loves puppies, even yeah. I realized like, "Oh, there's actually not much programming happening here. Oh, it's just puppies like, being adorable." But it's good, just yeah, to step in for a an second, and then, and then and then move on.
1: There is an Illinois dog competing in the Puppy Bowl this year.
2: Oh, really? Competing?
1: Yeah, compete. I don't know how you win.
2: What's his? Uh, what's their name?
1: I don't remember the dog's name, but but yeah, I remember seeing that like somebody I know posted something on Facebook that like there's this dog from Illinois. and He was, I guess, an adopted shelter dog. So he's, you know, everybody's rallying um, around the local.
2: I hope he w- I hope they win.
1: Yeah, I don't know how you win. I think you <laughs> you don't you don't um, use the field as a potty.
2: And you, <laughs> you... a, there's one way to lose, <laughs> and it's to That's poop on TV. <laughs>
1: I mean, that's a good rule for life, (laughs) right? (laughs) You know, don't don't poop on TV. That's a pretty good rule. No, probably not. And then there's the kitten halftime show that's very, very cute.
2: Oh, okay. There's a lot of conflicting
1: programming tomorrow.
2: See, I want to watch all these things. Yeah, there's the Super Bowl, and then there's everything else for everyone who doesn't want to watch it.
1: Okay, here's the other thing that stands out, though, about the list of Super Bowl programming ranked worst to best. Right. You forget about how weird the mashups are, because sometimes you're like, oh, mm-hmm. it's so and so. And then someone else walks out. You're like, oh, OK, cool. But when you look back at it and just kind of read the list, you're like, I oh, never would have. For example, right. I'm going to say Shania Twain, Sting and No Doubt in 2003.
2: Shania Twain, Sting and No Doubt. I-
1: <laughs> Three things that don't match.
2: No, I guess that's what they were going for. Right. With these mashups, it's like, how can we appeal to the broadest base, you know, cover yeah. cover a lot of ground?
1: That's one way to do it.
2: But it sometimes makes for a a disparate sort of show. Oh, sure. I would like to rewatch that. I I was going through it like, I I could watch all these right now. Why not? But I did notice that in the top 10, with I think one or maybe two exceptions, it was mostly just one artist performing. Like, those are the ones they deemed the most successful. Sure. Because those mashups can be really fun. I think there was one with like Aerosmith and Sync. Nelly,
1: Britney Spears, and Mary J. <laughs> so that's
2: a that's lot. That's a lot. That's a lot happening in twelve minutes. <laughs> yeah, and that's a lot. That was like number four. They put that pretty high.
1: Yeah, that was. Number but four. It, but it's
2: a high degree of difficulty. It's easier if you just give someone with a big catalog free reign to kind of do their thing,
1: which takes us back to the Prince song we were playing.
2: Although they still even for those bring in other artists. Usually not for Prince. I I always thought Prince was like. The uh, consensus pick for obviously the best.
1: I've always heard people refer to Prince and Beyonce as being the leaders, of, but on right. the, according to this list, they got well, you too.
2: Oh yeah, I was gonna I was gonna do a tease, but because I, I do want to come back to this maybe later in the show, where people can text in and give us what their favorite was. Or something I would like also that.
1: I would also like to know who would be just the dream mashup.
2: Right, you know, I think that would
1: yeah. Who would be like the best Super Bowl halftime show mashup? Let's say at
2: least three. If fame and like broad appeal was no object, or (laughs) it'd be somebody (laughs) really obscure.
1: (laughs) With well, maybe, maybe yeah, yeah. With like, I don't know. And let's say living or dead, right? Okay, okay. You have to pick at least three. Text us three one two nine eight one seventy two hundred,
2: and we'll You're, give ours by the end of the show. And we'll give
1: ours because it's going to take some time. Especially you, you like know all the obscure music. That's not true. You, I get half of my music listening from you. That's a <laughs> that's thing. Sad. I'm sorry.
2: I'm sorry, but that's not. <laughs> all right. Well, we we're need gonna, to work on that.
1: We're going to take a break. We have a big show today. We have a lot of guests coming in to share their knowledge. We're all going to learn great things from them. Back in just a bit here on seven twenty WGN. 720 WGN, it's Amy Guth. Thanks for being with me today. I'm in for John Williams today with you till three o'clock. So I'm sure you all heard about how uh, just this past week, Governor Pritzker in the State of the State Address, he really doubled down on renewable energy, saying that it was a priority for Illinois. And he said it's time to put consumers and climate first. He was, of course, talking about the Clean Energy Jobs Act, which have passed would put Illinois on the path to 100% renewable energy by 2050. That's a lot, right? That's a lot. And it's kind of a lot to think about of, you know, how do we get from point A to point B? How do we do that? What does that look like? What's it going to cost? All that good stuff. So we're joined now by Ty Beneful, who is the co-founder of Hero Power, to talk with us about that. Hi, Ty. Welcome to the program. Thanks for being with us today.
0: Hi, Amy. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Glad you could take time out of your Saturday to talk with us. Okay, so so from your perspective, you're working in this clean energy space. Tell us a bit about your company and and how it came to be and how it fits into all of this conversation.
0: Sure. So Hero Power is a 100% renewable electricity supplier in Chicago or in Illinois. Um, we've made it possible for any person or business uh, in Chicago or the surrounding suburbs uh, to switch or to support renewable electricity every time they pay their electricity bill. So uh, there's no equipment to, to change or anything like that. We just go and buy renewable energy certificates from a wind farm that matches 100% of our customers' energy consumption. It's a, it's a very easy and effective way to, uh, to support renewable energy, which is definitely what you know, our state and the country and, and the world needs right now.
1: And so you have said that you feel like Illinois is poised to really be a leader in the U.S. around renewable energy. Why Illinois in particular? Yeah,
0: well, I mean, I think as you've you know you, as you've seen uh, at the federal level, the United States has really lost its position as a leader um, when it comes to clean energy and combating climate change. We pulled out of the Paris agreements. You know, we've done a lot to um, to hurt. Our, you know our leadership standing in, in the world so it's so important that states and cities you know, take on this challenge um, at a local level and as you can see by the you know by governor Pritzker's comments earlier this week, this is important, and this is going to be a part of his 2020, you know, legislation goals. So I think we're, we are poised as a state because we've got, you know, we've got a lot of land where we can install wind turbines and take advantage um, of, of the, you know, the natural wind that, that flows over, uh, over Illinois. Um, We've got a lot of people here in the state that are already working uh, in renewable energy and the Clean Energy Jobs Act is just going to do so much more to promote clean energy. So it's great to see that, you know, Illinois is taking uh, really taking a leadership position, uh, filling the void that we you know, that's left by uh, the, the federal level.
1: And then talk to me a bit, if you would, about the HEAT Act, which went into effect on January 1st.
0: Yeah. You know, the heat act was long overdue. Uh, unfortunately, the retail electricity industry has been occupied by some bad actors um, really since its inception. And these, you know, these energy companies had business models that were basically, you know, sign customers up at a low rate and then really increase their price when the customers aren't looking. It, it left customers leery of the industry and, and for a good reason. Um but the heat act should eliminate some of these bad practices and uh, the heat act requires greater transparency and pricing um, not only their own but you know the energy company's price but also stating the utilities price to compare that's one of the things that hero power that we felt was really important was to always charge the same rate as the utility um, which is you know our, the ComEd basic electricity rate is, is indexed to our rate so it's always the same um, the other thing that the another thing the heat act does it, it eliminates termination fees so many times customers were you know stuck in bad contracts, and they were penalized if they if they left those contracts. so the heat Act got rid of that um, it also got rid of some predatory marketing and sales practices special um, especially in in communities uh, you know low low income communities or elder, elderly communities uh, that were often taken advantage of by these retail electricity providers so you know it's been it was our goal. When we started Hero Power, uh, to really fight back against the you know these practices that the, these retail energy companies have gotten away with for so long, and to be an electricity supplier that brings trust back. Uh, to our you know to to the industry and to, and to the customers, really, because uh, we feel like there is value in retail electricity as long as you know these these suppliers can create value for customers uh, and that's what you know we stand to do with with hero power
1: yeah, I've been watching you know conversation around the heat act for quite a while and and the issues surrounding it with with a lot of interest. Just from the consumer protection piece of that, this this would this is essentially one of the strongest consumer protection laws in the country around the you know in around certain aspects of this. And uh, as it, it's been as it's been very widely noted, I know as I've talked about before, this kind of thing that you described, this kind of predatory practice around a lot of energy has. has I mean, this has cost hundreds of millions uh, for consumers just in, in these kind of fees. So it's, it's a very serious issue. I mean, I think a lot. It's, it's sort of, it's got its own complexities to it. So I think sometimes it could get glossed over, but I think it's an important one. I'm glad you were able to, to speak to that with us. So tell me a bit more about how you came to found Hero Power. I think your own origin story seems to have a little bit of that in there, too, about kind of getting around and, and retaliating against, I guess is the word, mm-hmm. um, around some of these predatory companies.
0: Exactly yes, yeah. so my co-founder and I actually started our first company, which is meter Genius while we were at Northwestern about seven years ago, and that company's goal was we, we built web and mobile apps um, that helped energy companies help their customers save energy so we helped them lower their you know, their energy consumption and we actually sold that um, those products to these retail electricity suppliers so they were our clients and that was really our uh, for foray into the uh into the retail energy industry because our clients were using these apps that we built um, and we found you know that the end users the customers they they loved these apps but um, they often had problems with their electricity suppliers um, d- doing what i what i had said earlier as far as increasing their rates and actually my own co-founder uh, was part of a Uh, was was a victim of one of these retail electricity suppliers' uh, bad practices and was actually awarded a settlement of over $780 um, as part of the class action settlement against one of these retail electricity suppliers there in Illinois. So we said, you know, what we're going to do, we're going to stop, you know, helping these retail electricity suppliers, because. We didn't feel like you know they were really there for their customers and creating value for their customers. So we said we're going to start our own retail electricity supplier, uh, only sell uh, renewable energy backed uh, electricity, and make sure that you know from the from the every piece of marketing every time that we you know interact with our customer it's a great experience um, because that's what you know illinois customers deserve so we've got you know we've got a great uh, web and mobile app that helps customers use less electricity and we only sell 100% renewable energy certificate backed energy so we're very proud of the product that we've created and we think that finally there's an alternative uh, to some of these bad actors in Illinois' retail electricity industry.
1: And where can people go to find out more about about your company and, and, and learn more about what you do?
0: Well, they can go to our website, which is myheropower.com.
1: Wonderful. And I'm sure you're on social media and all that good stuff, too. But maybe start, (laughs) folks start at the website. And uh, if you follow me on Twitter, I will be sure and tweet out links to that after the program. And we just have a couple of minutes left. But I also want to mention you are the host of the podcast, The Climate Pod, which looks at weekly news around these kind of issues beyond just power, but environmental and all that. Tell us about that, if you would.
0: Yeah, of course. So um, I'm lucky enough to be the co-host of The Climate Pod. Um, every week, we talk to the leading activists, academics, journalists on the most relevant, relevant climate and environmental news. So we've had guests from NASA, from the New York Times, um, from the United Nations—really, uh, some of the most, you know, the most important voices when it comes to climate change um, on our podcast. And we get to hear the great stories of the work that people are doing. Uh, to combat climate change. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of pretty somber news out there when it comes to climate change. We definitely cover that. Um, but we also want to make it you know, easily accessible to people who are not climate experts. So we've also had, guests on from Netflix, from HBO, from uh, comedians, all, so, all, all sorts of comedians, uh, because look, climate change affects people in all sorts of ways, and there's a lot of people that are doing some great things to, uh, to spread the word and, and to get the message out there on how we can better uh, combat climate change and, and preserve our environment and our world for generations to come, and, and we're really lucky to get those guests on the Climate Pod every week.
1: Where can people go to find that podcast?
0: Yeah, the Climate Pod is on all of your favorite podcasting platforms. So we're on iTunes, we're on Stitcher, we're on Spotify. Uh, you can also follow us on social media. media. Um, our Twitter is uh, at the Climate Pod uh, or at Climate Pod. Um, and uh, yeah, we're 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 very excited uh, to be growing the podcast, and we've got quite uh, quite the audience now.
1: Great. Well, thanks so much. I really appreciate you taking time to talk with us a little bit about this today. Again, for those of you who follow me on Twitter, I'm going to tweet out links to all the stuff we just mentioned so you can find it for yourself. But head to myheropower.com to find out about the company. Ty Benefil, thanks so much for being with us today.
0: Well, thank you, Amy.
1: All right. We're going to take a little break back in just a bit here on 720 WGN. All right. 720 WGN. Amy Guth in for John Williams today with you until three o'clock. Lots to do on the program today. We've got a ton of guests. And right now we're joined by Ali Maradi, a business reporter at the Chicago Tribune. It has been a minute, Ali. Thanks so much for being with us. Haven't talked to you in a while. I know. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for joining us. Well, you wrote recently about a class action lawsuit around Facebook. I read this story with a lot of interest. I think there's a lot of conversations to be had around data privacy. And I've always watched, you know, European courts seem to be taking it a much different way than American courts. But this is a really interesting step. So catch us up if you would.
3: Yeah, for sure. So I think one of the things to know first and foremost is that in Illinois, we have one of the strictest laws in the nation protecting our biometric information, which is basically your fingerprints, an an iris scan, a face scan. Um, So thinking about, like, facial recognition and that kind of stuff. It sounds kind of like James Bondy when I say iris scan and my fingerprint scan and stuff. But, um, you know, there are a lot of employers that take fingerprint scans. It's kind of like a a timing sheet type of thing. Um, so the strict law here, Illinois has kind of become a hotbed for legal activity around these things. And in 2015, there was a lawsuit that started here um, involving Facebook and their facial tagging feature. If you remember um, back a few years ago when you would upload a photo to Facebook, um, that like box would pop around a face and say, is this Amy Goose, you know, um, so that it, basically the plaintiff sued saying that Facebook was violating that strict law we have here in Illinois.
1: That's so interesting, and I remember that that pop up, and I used to always get mad at it because it would think I was somebody else. <laughs> it would always like yeah, su- suggest that my face was like some dude with a beard or something. I was like, "Excuse me, I am not that yeah. dude that looks like a lumberjack <laughs> right now." Really, really insulting or real complimentary? Right, right. I was like, "Oh, I wish I was that person," or "I, w- I'm sorry, I'm definitely not that person," or whatever. It was always <laughs> exactly. very funny. It was always like way off. Anyway, but. As a result of this, I mean, I think this is interesting. I want to come back to Illinois with, with uh, some of our tougher tougher, and stricter biometrics laws. I want to come back to that. But but on this, what is, what is the latest? I mean, this settlement sounds really interesting. What is that going to mean for consumers?
3: Yeah, so basically, the lawsuit has been playing out for almost five years in court. And it got moved to California, and Facebook kept appealing, and they tried to get the Supreme Court to take it up. Um, And eventually, they decided to just do the settlement. It's $550 million, and all that is going to Illinois Facebook users. So the attorneys tell me it could be um, 5 or 6 million people, and there's no steps anybody can take yet to be a part of the settlement. Um, That's going to come later down the line. They have to do some court proceedings. But it could eventually mean, you know, a couple hundred dollars for people. It all depends how many people end up filing a claim, and how many are eligible. Um, But, yeah, I mean, it's it's really interesting, too, because a lot of other companies are watching this. You know, Facebook, I had an expert tell me that Facebook is kind of like the canary in the coal mine for – privacy issues because they're the biggest and so much of their business model is built on user information so there are a lot of other companies tech and otherwise that i think are watching this and kind of saying okay wow we if facebook didn't have the resources to or decided that it wasn't worth their resources to play this out in court then we don't have the resources for that either you know Mm
1: -hmm. and so why illinois why are we why do we seem to be more on top of this particular topic than other states
3: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, The law dates back to 2008. Um, I'm not sure exactly how it came into play here, but I do know that um, one of the things that sets it apart, and there's only really a few states that have laws protecting biometric data at all, um, but what sets Illinois apart specifically is that actual consumers can sue companies or entities that um, take their information. And what it is is that if you're going to take someone's biometric information, you're required by this law to tell them you're taking it, tell them how you're going to use it, how long you're going to store it. Um, there was another lawsuit, for example, um, involving six flags because they started using fingerprint scans and, for members. And so that was an issue, you know. So, um, yeah, it's really interesting to see. And there's there's a lot of, of things that have happened here. For example, I don't know if you remember a couple years ago, um, Google rolled out that. App where you could see if your face looked like a famous piece of art. And it was kind of sweeping. Yeah, it was kind of sweeping social media. Um, Well, they didn't roll it out in Illinois because they were, you know, because they could have potentially violated this law.
1: I remember that. And so I remember people. Posting to social media saying, "Oh, I had my cousin in you know Pennsylvania do this for me" or things like
3: that. Like, yeah, right. And for I mean, for a while it was kind of like, "Wait, am I just not doing this right?" Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah, but yeah, it was that. And, it's, and I think it's interesting because that's an example, and there are other examples too. I know for a while, like um, Nest, the door cam, you know, the mm-hmm. doorbells. Um, there was a feature they didn't have here in Illinois, also because of this law too. So it's interesting to see the big tech giants responding to this.
1: Yeah, that is interesting. Now, what about more overt? times when our our biometric information is collected. I'm thinking about the uh, clear kiosks that are now in O'Hare, ju- uh, mm-hmm. part of a, a step of screening with TSA and all that, and then things where you very you know can very easily c- like surrender your DNA like DNA tests, things like that and send it off for ancestry or health reasons, stuff like that. What about those when they're operating in Illinois? Are there any considerations for them that they've had to take?
3: Well, what I've had lawyers tell me is that you know it's, it's sometimes because it's just consent that is necessary with this law. Um, sometimes it's just a matter of working those companies working with their attorneys to figure out kind of what language is there, what kind of permissions they have to get from the consumer. But um, it's funny you should bring up uh, the DNA thing because there's another law that actually just went into effect this year, and I'm not as well versed on that, but. Um, you know, with, with those types of DNA collecting companies having to notify Illinois residents as well. So there's, there's some lawmakers are thinking about this in Springfield, um, for sure.
1: That's really interesting. Because as I, as I said at the top, I've always thought it was very interesting how European courts from the jump, seem to treat biometric data and data privacy so differently than American cords. So it's interesting to see more conversations around this. I know it's a topic I've talked about a ton. I think you and I have talked about it three or four times. It's just yeah. a really, really interesting one. Um, so what could we, you know, I remember the Six Flags case. So I, interesting you brought that one up too. What other, uh, you know, where else does this reach to that we may not be thinking of that maybe isn't as obvious? So
3: I think something to think about with this technology and what privacy advocates worry about is that, you know, if you get your credit card information stolen or your Social Security number or something like that, like maybe not the Social Security number, with the credit card information, you can just get a new credit card, right? Like it's pretty easy to kind of – it's a hassle, but it's just, you can get new ones if that information is compromised. But the worry is what happens – if your face map is stolen, you can't just get a new face and you can't just get new fingerprints. Um, but I've also talked to experts that say it's hard to know what the re- far reaching ramifications of this would be because we haven't had, you know, a huge blatant issue where this has happened, where there's been some breach like this. I'm sure it has happened, but, you know, it's just not been widespread that we've all heard about it. So it's kind of the unknown. I think it really concerns people for sure.
1: Yeah, I, I've been thinking about that, too. I think it's going to probably take some you know, bad actor or some some case to say right. to set that precedent. Um, I, I feel bad for whoever that is, because it's probably going to be a night, right. nightmare to untangle right. it, you know, but. Yeah. Well, and the other thing, too, is that we are getting more and more comfortable with this. It's becoming
3: more and more familiar to us. I think it was the iPhone 10 that rolled out a year or so ago that, you know, you can log in just by kind of looking at your phone. Like, that's facial recognition. And Apple stores everything locally on their phone. but That's just one more step toward consumers becoming really comfortable about this and not thinking about what happens when that information is taken. You know, if you think about how we've all used Facebook and social media for the past decade or more, you know, we're just having a reckoning now about what happens with all that data, and do we own it or do the companies own it and and all that. So it's just kind of taking that a step further to another bit of your data. yeah,
1: all very interesting stuff and and really provokes, I think, a lot of philosophical questions about about the way we use tools and the way our data is stored and just what it all means, really. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate you joining us, Ali Marni, business reporter at the Chicago Tribune. Thanks for your time today. Yeah, thanks for having me. You bet. All right. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, plenty more to talk about here on Seven Twenty WGN. Seven Twenty WGN. It's Amy Guth in for John Williams today with you until three o'clock. Thanks for being with me today. Always grateful to you for sharing part of your Saturday. So we are joined now by EJ Schultz, who is assistant managing editor at Ad Age. And EJ, I feel like this is our our annual conversation, right? Super Bowl weekend, we always talk about the ads. Welcome back.
4: It's great to be here. It's sort of a tradition.
1: I know. It's a great tradition. I appreciate it. Well, this year, there's a lot of interesting stuff to talk about. I know in the past few weeks, people have been talking about Mr. Peanut and what's going on there. But some ads had to make some changes shortly after Kobe Bryant's death. Talk to me about what was in those ads.
4: Sure. Um, The Super Bowl is just such a huge advertising marketing moment. And every year it seems to be that... Advertisers are affected by outside events. And, and this year, quite unexpectedly and tragically, of course, Kobe Bryant died in the helicopter crash about a week ago. And just as a total coincidence, a few brands actually had helicopters in their ads. And they felt that they wanted to edit the scenes out just to not look insensitive to the tragedy. Um, One of those brands was Genesis, which is a luxury car brand owned by Hyundai. They actually had a lighthearted ad. It features Chrissy Teigen and John Legend. You know, I think there was a pretty quick appearance by helicopter. They had already released the ad, like many advertisers do. But they went back and changed it and and took that scene out. Um, So that's one example.
1: And then there was also uh, one for uh, for GM, which is they're bringing the, the Humvee right. vehicle back. They changed theirs a bit, too, if I understand.
4: Right. They're, they're bringing back the Hummer. You might remember the old gas-guzzling uh, truck. And they're bringing it back as an electronic vehicle. Mm. And um, they have a scene of LeBron James in their ad. And the original plan was for them to release it early. But out of respect to LeBron, who is obviously close with Kobe, Um, they didn't want to release that ad early so they just put out um, just some some quick um, snippets of the ad they did not include LeBron in those scenes but um, they are um, going to then release I think the full ad tomorrow Mm -hmm. but LeBron will be in the final ad I think they just didn't feel it was right to do it this week
2: yeah
1: give him give him a minute there probably for that right and then then there's some that have not altered their ad including as you note in a piece you wrote for ad age um snickers has a helicopter in the ad but has is leaving that
4: yeah their ad is um i think it's the scene of a you know i don't know if you're familiar with your your listeners might i mean it's been a campaign that's been going on for a long time you're not you when you're when you're hungry right. Right. usually they're like you know featuring a celebrity who's like sort of off kilter they take a snickers bar and they everything's great they're they're sort of broadening this out to the whole earth this year and basically saying things are right in the world right now so they're sort of feeding the earth <laughs> a snickers bar <laughs> and um they, i think they were going to do that or they are doing it by sort of dropping a big giant snickers bar down into a hole with a helicopter they mm-hmm. they've decided so far not to alter that scene mm-hmm. um and then you mentioned the planters which probably is was probably one of the more interesting ads even before the the Kobe Bryant tragedy. They had run an ad already, showing the uh, Mister Peanut, the, the, the mascot, who actually dies in a uh, in an accident. Um, it's you know sort of a light. I mean, it's a, we're talking about a fictional mascot here, right? Pretty lighthearted thing. And they had they had publicly stated, you know, that they're going to actually have Mister Peanut's funeral in the Super Bowl. Um, now, of course, Kobe Bryant. You know that that looks suddenly a little bit risky, right? Even if you're trying to be funny. It's just not a great topic to have right now, but but they said they're going to go forward with it, um, and they they have though pulled all their um, social media around it all week, so they're they're no longer you know they had really gone all in on this and sort of had fun with the notion of him dying, you know a lot of R I P kind of tweets, things like that. Um, they they pulled all that off social in the wake of the Bryant um, tragedy, but they are going to go forward with the, the funeral ad. Last we
2: heard.
1: Yeah. So it sounds like maybe there there was probably some um, quick marketing meetings to kind of re, re, you know, retool the the campaign and how that was going to go. But but yeah, going forward, yeah, I've seen so many people talking about Mister Peanut online. I was like, what's happening? What is this? Right. The other one I've seen a lot of people tweeting about is is um, this this ad that like PETA has said something about with animals that are kneeling. Right.
4: PETA does this every year, and it's sort of a stunt they um, they will release something and claim that it was rejected by the NFL or the network. You know, who knows if it really was. A lot of times we're skeptical of this, right. but they actually have, you know, the $5 million to they would actually buy an ad. So they, they end up getting, you know, the attention of people um, by, and this is other brands have done this over the years as well. You know, you make some pretty outrageous ad and, and push the envelope a little bit and then, claim it was rejected. And then you get some Twitter action on it. Maybe a few people were right about it. I mean, you know, it's just an, it's an attempt for attention.
1: Yeah, sure, sure. So I feel like in years past, there's there's been kind of a through line with a lot of advertisers where you can really point to and say, hey, this is the year where they really took on this big cause. You know, I, I think back of there was, you know, a, a lot of stuff about uh, intimate partner violence and domestic violence one year there you know, sometimes it's in responses i mean do you feel like there's a through line this year with what you've seen so far in terms of a bigger cause that a lot of ads are kind of giving a nod to
4: on the balance most stuff is lighthearted i would say probably more than usual this year there's a lot of brands going for humor um but there are some brands out there doing bigger emotional spots and and one of them is actually the, the national football league they they actually came out with their ad during the AFC NFC Championship game. They're, they're sort of taking on the issue of um, police shootings of, of black men, mm. um, which has of course been in the news for the last few years. They feature um, a former player, Anquan Bolden, who tells the story of his cousin who was, who was gunned down by a police officer who was eventually found guilty of manslaughter. Of course, this happens in the wake of the um, several years running uh, Colin Kaepernick controversy. So um while the NFL is getting some credit for doing this, there's people that are, you know, claiming that it's a little bit of a cynical move. But um so far the ad, I mean, it hasn't gotten a ton I mean it's it's already out there. It hasn't from what I can tell it's not gotten a ton of backlash yet. But yeah. we'll see when hundred million people watch it on Sunday. Yeah.
1: I feel like Super Bowl ad releases are kind of becoming like holiday stuff moving into the store you know like you see Valentine's Day stuff in December I feel like it gets earlier and earlier every year what, I, and I hate to be like that back in my day crotchety person but like isn't there some p- kind of surprise factor and power in just releasing it like letting it be viewed on Super Bowl Sunday?
4: I mean your observation is right I mean, at our last count at Ad Age that we've counted 37 ads already released and that's up from last year at this time I think there are about 30 so uh, I think the brand's they feel that if they're spending $5 million for 30 seconds of airtime, they're trying to get the most bang for the buck, and they think that they can do that by releasing it a week or two early so that they can, especially these days with Twitter, Facebook, you know, they put them on those social channels. Hopefully they, they spread. But you're right. I've, I've noticed, um, you know, we cover this stuff day in and day out, but the average person I think still probably hasn't taken the time to view any of these things, right? They may have stumbled across one on their Twitter feed or maybe their friend passed them an ad to to watch that they liked but um i I notice that every year you know even if if an ad's been out a week or two that people will act surprised a lot of people haven't seen it and they'll get most of the reaction on on the game day i mean television still still matters when it comes to the super bowl so
1: yeah and and then then there are brands that are going to hold their ads they're not going to run yeah there's that there's that so yeah well i'm glad you agree with me on that i felt like i was being like grumpy old woman about it but i was like no it's true (laughs) Well, thank you for the validation. I appreciate yeah. that. All right. Well, thank you so much, E.J. Schultz, assistant managing editor at Ad Age. For those of you who follow me on Twitter, I'm going to tweet out links to all the stuff we talked about after the broadcast. E.J., thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. All right. Talk to you soon. Okay. We're going to take a little break. Back in just a bit. Plenty more to talk about.
5: I play this guitar.
1: little more of that Prince halftime performance from the Super Bowl that was in 2007 we're hearing we were talking a little bit earlier about Super Bowl halftime shows of course I gave a shout out to kitten halftime at the puppy bowl which is a thing <laughs> shout out to everybody watching <laughs> yeah, that they didn't
2: make the list they
1: didn't make the list <laughs> no one consulted with me about this list Rolling Stone never called uh, anyway but there's a lot of interesting stuff in there but I asked I threw this question out and I asked you to give us a text to what are the mashups you wish you could see or wish you could have seen? So we're saying the rules are has to be at least three. Doesn't matter living or dead. This is a dream scenario because no one's actually asking us <laughs> to, to program this. But what? Who? What is the the unusual mashup that you would love to see that would make just the best Super Super Bowl halftime show?
2: Oh, so you want three?
1: I mean, artists. I, I would take
2: because we've got a few uh, texts, but just with. In general, that's just fine. Dreams. I'll take
1: them. I, I would but, love three because then it makes it weirder and harder. Right, right.
2: You know? That's true. You have to but think harder got? about that. Well, somebody texted in and said Liberace would have been a great halftime show. Oh, that would
1: be awesome and sparkly. That
2: would be great. Okay. Good call on that I'm one. surprised that never happened. Although, not really.
1: I it, mean, they, they started doing
2: the halftime show maybe after a little bit after Liberace's prime. That's but correct. I think still could have happened. I don't know. Could have happened. Uh, a couple of texts said Metallica.
1: Oh, that would be interesting. Which I has never actually...
2: happened, has it?
1: I don't think it's so. It's not on
2: that list. I didn't see it. Although I
1: kind of feel like maybe it did. We're going to have to do some research on the next break.
2: Yeah. But well, no, you've got I... that list in front of you. I think they listed everything, did but mm. I don't remember that I don't remember Metallica, place. but that yeah, would be no, kind of cool. Yeah. I, I'm a little surprised that that hasn't happened yeah. already. Yeah. Somebody said Elton John, Boy George, and George Michaels. Wow. That would be fantastic.
1: That would be a heck of a show. That's great. I'd go to that. I've seen Elton John live. He puts on a good show.
2: We haven't even mentioned that tomorrow it will be uh, Jennifer Lopez and Shakira, right? Am I right about that? I think. <laughs> <laughs> why, why did we, we're, too, we're caught up in the past. Where, what I are you was going to say, about... we
1: are all about the nostalgia, Griffin. Oh,
2: someone just texted and said the Rat Pack.
1: Oh, that's a good call. That'd be kind of cool. Why not? Why not? I bet <laughs> yeah, I know I mean... who that was. I bet I know who that was. Oh, really? I <laughs> texted that.
2: Uh, Christine Aguilera and Britney Spears. That's also a little surprising that something like that didn't happen because, right around the time that they started doing these, I think that when these mashups that you're talking about were more popular, we're like at the peak of Britney and Christina Aguilera's uh, powers, and they both I think contributed to separate.
1: I think yeah, I was going to say I think Christina Aguilera never never together contributed to the Maroon Five one. Right, I think. Mm. Look, I'm no authority (laughs) on Super Bowl halftime shows.
2: We're just kicking it around here. And I'm
1: also not an authority on Christina Aguilera, but I think that is what occurs.
2: I like that idea, though. And uh, somebody said Beatles, Rolling Stones, and Queen. Well, yeah, wow. of course. Yeah, why oh not? God,
4: that'd be Unfortun- awesome.
2: But here's the thing. If you go that big with that many great artists, then 10 minutes or 15 minutes is going to be unsatisfying. It's almost That's like it. you don't want to blow... Yeah, your wattage. Yeah, yeah. Because then yeah. you're like, well, I just want to see them play for like six hours, not that's right, f- twenty minutes.
1: That's right. That's so exactly
2: right. Okay, so who would yours? be? That's sort of the mitigating thing here. I yeah. don't know. I need another hour. I, know, I, still, I, need, need I, I still need the rest. of I know. Of the I
1: was thinking about this earlier on. On all the breaks, I've been thinking about it, I'm, and I started kind of a list. And I was like, no, then I'm, but yeah, the, like as soon as I wrote something down, I'd think of something else. And I'm thinking. <laughs> see i know you and i'm betting that you try to, I want to, to I
2: want to i want to you're mixing genres well i want to of course but yeah. i want to balance like something for me personally that's right but i don't want it to be too insular or too small i want it to have a broad appeal too but somewhere in the middle uh i'm not who, i'm not definite? prepared to i don't have a definite you you, you don't even you said anybody either who do, who do you have
1: i mean i think wu-tang would be fun that would never happen, because there's nothing arable. There's not a single arable lyric that the Wu Tang <laughs> clan has ever
2: done. Yeah, I guess you have to take that into account, too. Because <laughs> I remember nothing. when uh, Madonna had Nicki Minaj and MIA. That's right. And I was yep. like, Ooh. we should keep... Honestly, just Nicki and MIA would have been a great show, except for yeah. that problem. And MIA did get in trouble. That's
1: right. Yeah, <laughs> even, that's right.
2: Even her limited thing uh, for for what she gave the finger to the camera, I believe. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Oh, that's brother. Right.
1: And then, I mean, I got to say, on this list... The Janet Jackson, Justin Timberlake, Kid Rock, Jessica Simpson, Nelly, like all that one, right? Like that's on there, but that's number 20. That was a controversial one. Anyway- Plenty more time to talk about this back in just a bit here on 720 WGN. 720 WGN. Amy Guth in for John Williams today. Thanks for being with us. Appreciate you sharing your Saturday. We're joined now by Lolly Bowieen, who is a writer and reporter at Chicago Tribune, who wrote recently about the plans to manage the housing around the Obama Presidential Center and the pretty complicated debate about how to transform a community. Lolly, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for being with me today. Oh, thank you for having me. I appreciate this opportunity. Certainly. Always a pleasure to talk with you. Well, talk us through this story. I think it's a really, really interesting one. There's been so much conversation around the Obama Presidential Center, what it means for that area, and and a lot of factors going into this conversation. Talk me through if you would.
5: Oh, absolutely. So this story uh, centers around specifically the housing. Um, There's been a lot of conversation over the years about how this development is going to impact the property tax base, how it's going to impact uh, property values, and how it will uh, ultimately impact the cost of living in this area, the uh, cost of renting an apartment, for example, in a neighborhood like Hyde Park, Woodlawn, South Shore or Washington Park, and those are the neighborhoods that kind of surround the site of the Obama Presidential Center. And so what this story attempts to unpack is the tension between property owners who want to see their property value increase, who want to see a uh, bigger investment in this neighborhood, Uh, some property owners uh, and longtime residents who are stable and secure, who have been there for a long time and want to see uh, this area finally grow and develop and kind of counter uh, some north side communities versus uh, the the constituency of lower income residents who have lived there for equally long periods of time, who worry that now that the neighborhood is going to change, they'll be priced out and displaced. And so they want some guarantees, some ironclad contracts that will firmly affirm that they can stay in this neighborhood as it improves and gets better.
1: And as community conversations have been happening, this took new urgency recently when Mayor Lightfoot announced that there's a series of ordinances that are that are coming up even though no one really knows exactly what's in those ordinances just yet.
5: Yes. So um, the city has been having private and uh, closed-door conversations with community residents um, for some time over 2019, um, since uh, Lori Lightfoot got into office, and trying to understand some of the desires and needs of the the community and trying to figure out how they can uh, both protect the residents that live there but also invest in a way that uh, – attracts new growth and uh, a new uh thriving and abundant uh residents there so Um, The culmination of this conversation came last month when the city announced that they would be introducing some legislation that they think will satisfy the uh, goals of both the activists and the longtime homeowners there. Um, But the city has not unveiled those ordinances, so we haven't had a chance to actually look at them. And so they had an open house this past week where they kind of rolled out to the community just more in conversation form the desires of their ordinance package and what they're hoping to attain uh, using some some laws and using their power um, in an effort to protect housing and ensure growth.
1: So in the story that, that you wrote, and for those of you who follow me on Twitter, I'm going to be sure and tweet this out after the program so that you can read it for yourself because I think it's really important. It's a really important piece. But as you started talking to residents, what are some of the first themes that came up?
5: Well, you know, I think it was very complicated, Amy. So, you know, for some residents, there is a um, sort of residual trauma because they have already been um, displaced. They've already relocated to this community from other neighborhoods that they have felt priced out of. Um, But then you on the, the flip sides, you have residents who have come to this community, invested, they've bought houses or they've bought condos, and they are frustrated with not having uh, adequate grocery stores or not having a beautiful park or not having the amenities close by that they would desire. And so they want to see their community develop in much the way the uh, West Loop Fulton Market area did. And so it's kind of um, brought to the surface a tension between the two factions in this community. Those who are very eager and anxious to see it develop and attract a new tax base and a new sort of uh, set of homeowners, and those who say, Hey, I've already moved. I've already had to uh, relocate. I don't want to have to move again. I want to be able to stay here and enjoy these amenities too for the price that I pay now. Mm-hmm.
1: And when you move to thinking about the developer stake in this and, and where, you know, all the different stakeholders, right, we have activists, we have residents, we have the city, we have developers, we have all these different stakeholders in this piece and, and plenty more that I probably didn't just name. But one issue that came up was around job creation and how developers could help themselves and work with the community.
4: Mm-hmm.
5: Yes. So one of the residents that I talked to uh, emphasized that if this neighborhood uh, does redevelop, that if investors come and start to construct new buildings or new homes or start by. Uh, investing in retail, for example, or putting office buildings in this neighborhood, that if they promised and guaranteed jobs to the residents, then that would give a lower income resident a pathway towards stability. Um, But on the flip side, again, I also talked to residents who said, I'm a senior, I'm 65 years old, or I'm 75 years old. And I'm not looking to start working. I've moved to a community where I could afford to live on my limited income, and now that community is being threatened to be taken away from me. So, again, it becomes a really sort of complicated um, terrain to navigate.
1: Yeah, indeed it does. I, I really I read this story with a lot of interest. I've I've been following this and and many of the ca- the the you know factors around it for a while, and I think it, it's very very interesting. What in your reporting of this story and the issues around it, what has been maybe most surprising or, or something that's really just kind of stuck with you that that maybe you didn't expect to find?
5: Um. Oh gosh, that's such a wonderful question, Amy. I think that. Um... Mm-hmm. I think that what people need to know is that again this conversation has been taking a place has been taking place for years and it brings it opens up a window into just how complicated um this issue is when you talk about trying to invest uh, into a community or redevelop a community, but also protect the residents that are there. Um, Sometimes I think that um, we reach for the most simplistic answer. Oh, just put a grocery store or just put a major housing complex. Um, But when you really start to peel back the layers and talk to residents, you realize just how uh, complicated it is. And that all of this, is taking place this entire conversation has taken place in the shadows of residents already feeling displaced to this community or many residents feeling that this is where they landed because they weren't able to afford other communities that were uh, more established and not wanting to have to um, go to another low-income community so i think there's just so much that has to be weighed um in this conversation.
1: Yeah, it's really reminding me of, of the very recent story talking about. Uh, aldermen looking for solutions for residents on the western edge of the 606 that just this was just a, a couple of weeks ago we were having this conversation about saying so many of the same themes of residents saying hey i moved here so because it was something i could afford and i've lived here you raised my rent a couple hundred bucks i gotta move again and it re- uh-huh. very very real issues for residents so i appreciate you thank you so much lolly Boween, writer and reporter at chicago tribune thanks for your time today Thank you. I appreciate it, Amy. Have a good one. All right, we're going to take a little break back in just a bit here on 720 WGN. I got angels running away.
5: I got demons hunting me. I know pop with 25. I know Jesus 33. I tell death to keep a distance.
1: 720 WGN. It's Amy Guth in for John Williams today. Thanks for being with us. Appreciate you. We are joined now by Leor Galil, who is the music writer at at Chicago Reader. Thank you so much for being with hey, us today. Hey, thanks for having me. Hello. I'm so happy to finally be talking with you on the air. I feel like we've been trying to make this work a long time.
6: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, work keeps me busy. <laughs>
1: That's right. Well, indeed. Okay, so you have recently taken this wonderful, this wonderful thing. Okay, you have made a list of the best Chicago albums of the last 10 years. Let me start by saying... Bless you because I would not want that task. That sounds like a very, very overwhelming task. So, where, let's even, before we even get to the list, where did you start with that? How did you start with that?
6: I mean, the idea was uh, I knew that there would be a lot of decade in review best album lists coming up, and they wouldn't necessarily reflect what it meant to be in a city with a really vibrant, collection of music communities that overlap in really interesting ways and reflect a lot of what goes on here you know politically socially like there's just there's so much that gets lost in translation in these big lists and i wanted to offer a way for people to engage what's happening engage with what's happening musically in this city uh in a way that they wouldn't necessarily see in a big list and they might not necessarily see if they're not paying attention to what's happening in the scene and, you know, reading what's happening in uh, in in our community in the many, many places that cover all of this music.
1: Right. And I, I mean, I think it, you've exactly hit on the, the thing that, that kind of filled me with dread when I thought about what would it take to put together this list. And that is there is so much happening that even just as a fan keeping on top of it, even, you know, regular readers of all the music publications and all the music writers here in the city. It's a lot to keep track of.
6: Absolutely. And part of the joy of, you know, putting this whole project together was seeing what people whose work in terms of documenting what's happening in the scene on the ground, uh, what they really admired from the past decade and what they were willing to, to argue for including in this we we thought of this less of like a a hierarchical project even though there is like a numerical ranking we thought of this as more of a collection of uh of albums that people care about and obviously you got to have a cutoff there so we reached out to more than a hundred people in the city who we knew care about music in the city and can say something interesting and and offer a different perspective that broaden our understanding of what chicago music is and can be to just say what they're Top ten favorite albums were, yeah. which was a huge test for each person. I mean, personally, it was really tough to to head down to just ten. But you know, you gotta you gotta draw the line somewhere. We weren't going to be able to publish like thousands of albums, although that would have been great.
1: I would say that that would be kind of awesome if you did. <laughs> if you did, I think a lot of people yeah, would be very yeah. curious in the, about that list. So you mentioned how interwoven issues become with music here. I think that might be universal, but especially here, I feel like. We tend to really lean on our artists to make a statement about social issues. Are there any particular issues that you saw come up again and again in music that was mentioned?
6: Okay, I mean, hip hop has been such a huge thing in Chicago for a while, but this past decade is when it really showed how uh, how much of a part of living in this city it, it is and how much of it reflects that and i think all music is is political you are expressing something you're expressing something human and often that is saying something from a perspective that isn't necessarily part of the mainstream culture and that is a political stance um but yeah there's several rappers who talk about uh what it means to be a person of a color in a city that is hyper segregated that uh that when you're a young black person in this city, what it means to see somebody who looks like you get killed, what it means to go to their funeral, what it means to see somebody who you care about die in the, you know, in the case of acid Rap by chance is, you know, his breakout mixtape, a lot of that is inspired by, you know, Rodney Kiley's junior in front of his, who we saw stabbed to death at a party in Lincoln park. Yeah, Like that's that, that, uh, that, you know, there is a lot of like big T politics that, that is behind that. But I think, what makes a lot of the music that is, quote unquote, political that's on this list great is that it feels less like it is uh, it is on a, a platform that it is trying to preach to you and more that it is engaging with a listener in a real personal way.
1: Yeah. And something that you pointed out in the introduction that you wrote for this list uh, in the Chicago Reader that I thought was a really great point. What's great about these um, decade-long retrospective kind of lists is that it can reintroduce m- music to people that might have missed it the first time around, which I think is such a good point.
6: Exactly. And I mean, I, I read about music full time, and I know how hard it is to get people to pay attention to what's going on any day of the week. You know, Especially now, there's just so much going on for other people to worry about that when it comes to, you know, it's the end of the day and you're looking for something to, quote-unquote, entertain you, if that's how you prefer to listen to music, you are not necessarily going to seek out that something that's unfamiliar. You're going to go with something that's comforting. And these lists, while I have my own complaints about lists in general, are a great way to introduce people to unfamiliar music.
1: Definitely. All right. Well, so there's two lists I want to talk about. There's the reader top ten, but then your personal one. I want to compare and contrast the two, but let's start with the one, uh, the what you ended up with as the top ten for the reader.
6: Sure. Uh, I think part of what's really exciting about this was to see what ended up on there because there were some obvious ones. I think the top five or six albums were going to where I ended up being what I thought they would be, not in the order that I necessarily thought they would be. But uh, you know, it's it's Saba, who you know we heard a song of his earlier. It's No Name. It's Chance the Rapper, Kanye, DJ Rashad, which I knew would be high up, but I didn't expect necessarily to be in the top five. But that's really cool. Um, and then you got Chief Keef, two Jamila Woods albums, another Chance the Rapper album. But the top 10 album is a two-way tie between uh, Nandi, Nandi Ogbanaya, who is a really fascinating uh, musician who, again, if you talk about Chicago and the way that music Scenes overlap and crisscross. He is involved in so many different, really fascinating musical communities. He grew up in the punk scene in the south suburbs. And here on this album, he's rapping, he's singing, he's doing a little bit of everything. And it's a, it, it, it doesn't feel like it's confined by any idea of what music is and should be. Uh, And that album is tied with uh, a record by a hardcore band called Chew, which is just furious and fast and not something I expected to be in, you know, a quote-unquote top 10.
1: But nonetheless, here we are. Also interesting that there's two artists that appear twice in that, and that that kind of speaks to, I think, a good deal of loyalty from Chicago music lovers.
6: Yeah, and and also just the kind of the level that, like, Jamila and Chance have reached. Uh, We didn't know... What part, part of what was interesting was seeing what albums there was going to be a lot of overlap with. Mm-hmm. We didn't know that there, you know, what there would be. I kind of assumed there would be with some of the more popular artists and we were right. But it was really cool to see that there wasn't a lot of overlap in a lot of ways. We had 57 people list their top 10 albums and we had 338 albums. Oh my that is God. a lot. <laughs>
1: that is a lot. Yeah, I, I kind of thought yeah. you could release that list online somewhere and that would be kind of people would be interested. In that. I would be interested in that. I would, (laughs) I would retweet you for
6: sure. I think, I think we've tapped out on our ability to do this for a little while. Yeah, probably so. This has been in the works. Yeah, yeah. It's been in the works since I came up with the idea or formally pitched it in October. And we, we emailed people in November to contribute to this. Um, So yeah, it's been, it's been in the works for a while.
1: That's a pretty fast turnaround, even then. I feel like I would have needed a year just to get all that organized and all that done. Okay, yeah. so let's shift to your personal list. There's some overlap with the reader list, but plenty of other things, too. Talk me through.
6: Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, some of my like my top two albums, uh, Acid Rap by Chancellor Rapper and Care For Me by Saba, were in the top three. Um, part of that I expected. Again, it was really cool to see what what where there was kind of the most overlap and that was in the top album quote unquote was uh was care for me by Saba and then my third favorite uh is Sunday School by Tree who is a fantastic mm-hmm. rapper producer. He he just makes these like really fascinating unstable collages built out of soul samples that are scrambled and sped up sometimes and it sounds like the songs could fall apart at any moment but he holds it together and he has a really captivating gritty voice and his he he has this like weariness in his voice that suggests he's seen everything, um, but it, his he's a just like a masterful storyteller. Mm,
1: that's a beautiful uh, description. I love that. Like the songs could fall apart, but he holds them together. That is a great, great, great way to say that about that album in particular. Awesome. Okay, what else is on the list?
6: Uh, no names, telephone, which is also in the top ten. Jamila Woods heaven, which is in the top ten. Those are both there you know, solo debuts. And they both have got, have continued to make really fascinating work. I think part of the reason I just listed those is that I clung to them so much when they first came out. Mm-hmm. I didn't stop playing them that entire year that, you know, that they released those records. They both came out in 2016. Um, and then right after that is DJ Rashad's Double Cup, again, the number five album that, you know, in, in the overall vote. Uh, and that is a monumental footwork album that really, Kind of push footwork into a, a pop-friendly format. It's it is so hard and heavy still, but there are these really beautiful light moments that that make it sound like angelic. Basically, it's something that dancers can still battle to, but really i can imagine it on pop radio you know whatever pop radio is these days
1: yeah yeah well unfortunately we are running out of time so for those of you who follow me on social media i'm going to be sure and tweet all of this out so you can see it for yourself so you can follow up and find all these artists and all these albums because they're all so good and so thoughtfully chosen thank you so much leor galil music writer at chicago reader appreciate your time we got to have you back another time
6: Yeah. Thank you for having me.
1: Thanks so much. All right. Back in just a bit here on 720 WGN. 720 WGN. It's Amy Guth in for John Williams. Thanks for being with me today. Appreciate you sharing part of your weekend. We're joined now by Liz Wessel, who is the owner of Green Concierge Travel, here to talk with us about food trails, which is exactly what it sounds like, and it sounds super fun. It is a program that allows guides to tell the story of a region through its food, which I am totally, totally on board with. Liz, welcome to the program. Hi, Amy. Good afternoon. Well, thanks so much for being with us. Well, talk to me about this. I think this is such an interesting idea, and I, I feel like I've probably subconsciously just kind of gravitated to doing that anyway when I travel, or at least always kind of Wanted to do more of that. So, where uh, kind of talk to me about the origin of this and what all it entails. Sure. And, I, you know, I think th- it's the starting point is thinking about
7: trails um, and trails and tourism and how. Um, We've always had trails that kind of tell a story about an area. And so you can think here in the United States, we've had the historic trails, Trail of Tears, Lewis and Clark National Historic Trail. Um, And then people have been really excited in recent years about going back to do things like these religious trails, like the Camino de Santiago, where you're actually walking and experience the land and the experience of a pilgrimage. And then things started to change too, and then things happened, like the Heritage Trail, the Wild Atlantic Way, where I think you which is in Ireland, and you really started to get the feel of culture mixed with food mixed with music, and it's you know it's kind of been evolving along those lines and probably the first big food trails besides that one would have been wine trails had been around for a while and One of my favorites, which kind of illustrates the whole link with history, is um, the Peloponnese in Greece um, has a wine trail. And if you think about it, they've been doing wine for thousands of years, and they have a huge story to tell about the grapes that were grown there, the people that lived there. Um, ruins the whole society that was there over history, plus the wine. <laughs> That's, right.
1: That's
3: <laughs> so,
7: right. So, And so now here we are in the United States. We're beginning to pick this up and um, really come through with our own food trails um, around
1: different regions. Well, and we have them in Chicago, but, but to me, that seems very daunting simply because there are so many different groups of people that have come through Chicago, made homes in Chicago. I mean, you can, what's wonderful about this city is that you can find just about any kind of food there is because so many different groups converge here to make this such a wonderful and rich cultural city. What do those, what does that look like in Chicago for a a food tour?
7: You know, I actually had the experience of taking a food tour um, with the guides. Um, oh, they're chefs. They're all chefs. It's um, chef-driven foods, food tours. And I think what they did was they broke the city down by region and area because it makes it easier to manage. And a lot of cities, I think, have multicultural stories to tell. And a lot of foods originate in different Cities as well, and the the food tour I took was such a great cross section because we went to the south side and we did um, soul food down on the south side at Pearl's Place, mm-hmm. and then we went and we um, tasted. And by the way, this food tour I. There was way too much food for me, (laughs) so we ate a lot. Um, But then we went to a place where they did sausages, and then the Polish sausage, and then they went to the beef Italian neighborhood, and we had um, Italian beef, but then we also had the shaved ice as well. And so they were giving us you know, multicultural experiences um, just in that little couple-hour tour. And then you might do something probably for um, Asian food as well, the Chinese Chinatowns in different places. I think that's the only way you can do it with a big city like Chicago or San Francisco where there are so many cultures. And, and luckily, those tour guides are there for you. So you, you can do the work or you can just grab onto one of the tours and go.
1: Right, right. I mean, I think that's the fun part, too. If, you, if you're if you willing to put in the time to organize something, you can do a lot of this yourself and kind of put together, okay, I want to find the greatest, I don't know, Italian beef in Chicago. I want to run around and try a bunch of them. That's a very doable thing now.
7: Yes, it is. And um, I must say, the, the fun tour I put together for green cassiers travel was, um, I grew up in the Bay Area, San Francisco, and I I went to a variety of places that I really loved and I decided that I would put together a small itinerary combining things like the San Francisco Farmer's Market, which is amazing, down on the waterfront, with um, the farms and dairy that's going on in Marin County and the wine that's right next door and in Marin County in Napa and that whole experience. And along with that is the history so Point Race area, which is a national park, um, not a national park, but a national seashore, that's where people settled, and the dairy came in because people settled in there with cows, and you wouldn't normally have thought of that, but there they were, and now beef is a big part of that area as well as dairy. So it's it was really fun to put together.
1: Yeah, I bet. That's so interesting. And to me, this kind of speaks to a bigger thing of how much social media is shaping the travel industry. I've talked with some, some travel writers about this topic before, but you, I'm sure, have a very different perspective on this, that more and more, this seems like a very doable thing. I mean, even I don't know, just maybe a decade or so ago, to go to wine country was A more of a luxury thing that was a little more out of reach, but now it seems very, most people know someone who's done that if they haven't done that themselves. So this seems like it's getting to be a bigger and bigger part of people's travel itinerary.
7: Yeah, and I want to speak to two things about that. One, one there's been a little bit of negative uh, backlash. Um, so the negative backlash is because social media is so instant and people can um, instantly say, hey, I'm at this place, um, great uh, cheese, whatever it is, um, come and see it. Some of these smaller places get overwhelmed very quickly. Um, so that's, that's that can be a problem when that happens, when a small pro- – I mean, I can't say that they don't like the business, but it has happened to people that they've been way overwhelmed yeah, it's more like than the, they can in.
1: It's like the Groupon effect, right? A small business gets a Groupon to get going, but then suddenly they got more orders than they can deal with. It's like that. Absolutely. That makes perfect sense. Like, oh, no, or, there's an influencer. Loving, Loving
7: destinations to death, you know, that where too many of us descend at once and it just doesn't happen. But the good news, this is the really positive news, and I was just reading an article about this, um, that, A, uh, our uh, connectedness can serve to really spread things out, and these trails help to spread people out along a particular, um, uh, you know, Journey exploring food, and so it, it can help to spread people out. And the other thing is, is for interpretation. A lot of what's so exciting is the telling of the story, and people have begun to use, um, you know, uh, online uh, interpretation to give you that instant uh, storytelling. So you arrive at a spot, and then you can click into uh, an app. And they'll tell you, like, why is Rouge Noir on this cheese tour in Marin County? You know, that kind of thing. But that it all comes instantly to you. So the storytelling is much, much better now.
1: Yeah, that's those are a lot of good points. I think, yeah, I agree with you. Sometimes um, it's easy to lump a lot of change into this thing happened because of social media. I think it's always a lot more complex and a lot more subtle than that. Very, very interesting. Well, So you are based in Madison, Wisconsin. Um, that's where Green Concierge Travel is based on. What What is the perf- What would be on your perfect tour of, if you were going to do a food tour of Wisconsin? A
7: food tour of Wisconsin? Well, um, I would probably include... Um, Obviously, some beverages <laughs> and uh, and um probably some farm to table. And I probably might want to do a farmer's market and a you pick um, or something along those lines. So, one of the places that i can say right away that um, i think is a really uh, interesting place to go they have good food but is part of the brewing history of the of the region is the potosi brewery yeah. out in um and in potosi and it it just it has the museum for brewing in in its building and it's in a historic building that was reconstructed great beer good food, um, and it's on, you know, out near the Mississippi, so it's a great destination out there. Um, So that would be one location I would put on a tour. Um, The other one that comes to mind um, is Campo di Bella, which is a farm, a working farm, um, just south of um, Mount Horeb, and they do um, these fun community dinners And a lot of the food comes from their farm or it's locally sourced immediately after. And most of the dinners are communal, uh, but they do have romantic dinners where you can actually reserve a table. And it's a very small but beautiful location on a hilltop and with beautiful views off, you know, into the setting sun. And you you go and you can sit and you meet other people, and they also serve their own wines there as well as others. So they have a little bar in there, and they have a bed and breakfast, so you can stay if you would like. So that would be another destination because it's that true farmer experience uh, where they're actually cooking um, right up for you.
1: Yeah, and look at that. All of those things. And people think Wisconsin's all about cheese. No, no, no. So much more to do. So much more. Right, where
7: where can And you people... would
1: be remiss if you didn't
7: put the Dane County Farmers Market on your on your list as well, because and mi- that's
1: just yeah, and mi- a total food experience. <laughs> maybe I'm sure there's people texting the, our text line right now going, "What about Mars Cheese Castle? Fair enough, we'll hit that on the way up there for sure. <laughs> Fair enough. You got to always make a stop there. All right. Well, where can people go to find out more about Green Concierge Travel?
7: Um. Uh, they can go to the website, um, www.greenconciergetravel.com, and I also have a Facebook page, um, or just get in touch.
1: Great. Sounds good. All right, well, for those of you who follow me on Twitter, I'm going to tweet out the link to that website as soon as we are wrapped up here later today. Thanks so much. I appreciate your time, Liz Wessel, owner of Green Concierge Travel. Thanks for your time and insight. Thank you, Amy. Back. All right, we're going to take a little break. Back in just a bit here on 720 WGN. 720 <laughs> WGN It's Amy Good. You're hearing a little bit of you 2 playing the Super Bowl halftime show I jumped right in there Griffin had a wonderful plan I jumped right in and talked over it But it's great no, no, Let's hear a minute It's good Griffin, do you agree with, with the assessment that that was the greatest Super Bowl halftime show ever? This is uh, according actually, to Rolling Stone.
2: Yeah, I just f- found it again on YouTube. I want to. I haven't watched the whole thing back yet. I would like to, to keep watching. I, like I said before, I always had Prince in mind as the best, but yeah. I haven't looked at these closely. And just pulling this up just to play it just now, there is it is an ecstatic feeling, I have to say. This was right after 9-11, this is the That's 2002, right. so a few months, or I guess maybe like four or five months after 9-11, yeah. and uh, I don't know, there was an energy around this performance. That's People right. were freaking out, so I, I kind of get it, but I'd have to watch the whole thing.
1: A friend of mine is easily one of the greatest U2 fans in the entire universe, and I will go head-to-head on anybody with that who would like to prove me otherwise, so we're just going to call that fact-checked. Um, <laughs> She was so emotional. I remember so clearly I watched that Super Bowl with her and she was so emotional, so emotional about that. She was it was, you know, I think, as you said, 9-11 still kind of fresh in our minds. Uh, There was a lot going on.
2: Well, and to be clear, there was they had a tribute component. That's right. There
1: was. The, I was going to yeah. say there was the tribute component. So it was a, like an emotionally triggering thing, even for people who weren't necessarily very connected to YouTube. But then to like watch a YouTube fan watch it was kind of spectacular.
2: Yeah, that's nice. That's great. Yeah. So I, love
1: it. I think that's fair. There was a lot of energy around that one. Okay. I've been asking for some text messages. What is your ideal Super Bowl halftime mashup of people, or just overall performer? Griffin and I have been trying to work on our list throughout the show. I've got mine down to one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, but I think I can cut it in half.
2: <laughs> well, I have like a few things floating around in my head, like what's a person for me personally. That's what I'm doing too. But then I also have one that I think is kind of feasible. Okay, like could actually work. Let me throw that at you right now. So What do you think of this, F- Frank Ocean? Oh, that's with fun. John Mayer. Huh. <laughs> interesting and then maybe one other additional person that i can't think of yet maybe like the grateful dead or something because i'm trying to connect them and the thing is john mayer has appeared on he appeared on frank ocean's first album Mm -hmm. and they when frank ocean was first on snl john mayer was there too and i don't think frank ocean is quite a big enough star i mean in certain circles he's like the biggest star in the world sure but Generally, like your circle in my brain, <laughs> your realm. <laughs> um, but more generally, maybe not quite okay. up to you know Jennifer Lopez or yeah. Shakira standards of, of fame to hold that stage. John Mayer isn't quite either, at least That's now. Right. Uh, but together, and they might be able to amass a weird sort of collection of their hits together. Yeah. To f- and it's only fifteen minutes. I think that might. I think I'm onto something. It, it, see, here's what it might be really cool.
1: See, here's what I keep trying to do. I keep trying to go. What would be the what? What three things don't match? Let's make that cool.
2: Right, and I'm trying to like. No, they know each other, so it works this way. Right, like but you're it, just you're all about the clash. Just yeah, I'm him, like yeah.
1: sometimes we proved this out with the Aerosmith Run DMC mashup. That right lives on forever right yes, like, they just
2: did it again at the Grammys. They just
1: did it again at the Grammys, exactly and i was reminded wow that actually you know what for as much as we've heard that and heard that and heard that it still works okay
2: right all right let's hear it
1: here here's what i think i've come up with
2: <laughs>
1: here's my these are three things that do not match and so therefore it would be awesome okay right. here's my lineup yeah wu-tang clan dolly parton and baroness <laughs>
2: <laughs> baroness yeah i have to think about who that is
1: Think of the song like Take My Bones Away. It's a it's a heavier, I'm not going to say heavy metal, but like a heavier alt rock with Dolly Parton, who is the queen of everything in the entire universe, and she can do no wrong with Wu-Tang, who also- Okay, it's coming
2: to me now. Who Baroness. also,
1: I don't know if you can play any Baroness on the air.
2: No, it's not going to happen.
1: You can probably pay, play the very beginning of Take My Bones Away.
2: Next time, maybe.
1: Because it's- I think there might be swearing that you can't make out.
2: <laughs> I think you're I think you're on to something. I mean, with Dolly Parton for sure.
1: Imagine Dolly and Wu Tang. That would be so cool.
2: That and they're both um, beloved outside of their music too. They're just known entities that That's are right. like beloved by everyone. That's right. They have a magnanimous spirit in the similar absolutely. Way. I can although their music is very different. Totally they have a similar th- energy to me.
1: Although yeah. I would like to propose a mashup that I bet would work well <laughs> if you took the song Jolene by Dolly and Cream by Wu Tang.
2: Yeah. Think oh, of the gosh.
1: beginnings of both of those songs. They have this kind of pretty, floaty, dreamy kind of quality to them. It would work. This is. I just made a million dollars as a music producer.
2: This is high risk, high reward. This
1: is really high risk.
2: But very high reward, too. If it <laughs> yeah. worked, it would be... <laughs>
1: Let me tell you about who else was on my list of, uh, of runner-up people, right? Okay. Tori Amos, David <laughs> Bowie, Snoop, The Police... Elvis, The Smiths, and then just to throw in like local cool band that I love and can listen to nonstop, The Growlers.
2: So okay, that's all in one. No, 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 no. no, no. Just in general, I was just you like making a list of like mix. how could
1: that work, but then I ultimately decided like <laughs> like Wu Tang and The Smiths, I could actually kind of see that working.
2: You you think Wu Tang works with anybody? Is Wu Tang does to, work with I anything? Think, I, mean, I think you're onto something again. I think that's true.
1: Say it with me. Wu Tang always works. <laughs> <laughs> it always works. You no, can def-
2: never that's that's a really good point. Somebody uh, said Tom Petty with Elvis's band, or Elvis with that. Tom Petty's band.
1: I could see that totally working with Dolly Parton and Wu Tang.
2: Absolutely. We kind of <laughs> we're kind of leaving out the living or dead portion because it's that just opens that's up right to right so now. much. I was for I couldn't get it out of my head I'm thinking like feasible options even though yeah, yeah. technically the assignment was anybody is is yeah. fair game. What came to mind is I was thinking about tomorrow Jennifer Lopez if she performs the song I'm real. Uh-huh. Does Ja Rule" appear?
1: Oh, that'd be cool.
2: And then well it kind of would but it's also it's not really worthy of the stage in that's... the same way that she is but as someone who loved that song yeah, in its original form that would be great. And then I was thinking with the Ja Rule thing, what if we brought the people together who were supposed to perform at Fire Festival? <laughs> ja Rules, Ja Rules,
1: that's failed. Hilarious. If you
2: don't remember, that was his oh. failed music festival that like almost got people killed on an island.
1: Yeah, <laughs> like, it criminal was very, charges resulted. Criminal charges
2: <laughs> resulted. But Major Laser and Blink One oh, Eighty Two were supposed to perform.
1: That's right.
2: Along with Migos. Now it's a little dated because it was a few years I ago. But about Major Laser. But. I, I just think some form of those headliners <laughs> uh, giving the performances they never got to give at Fire Festival. That's right. Something about that idea cracked me up.
1: I also think it would be kind of funny and weird to do something that would just never work in that like arena big setting of just really obscure bands right. that are so chill and well, quiet that would just never...
2: So we get to my personal... Which yeah. I, th- I was thinking about Sufjan Stevens. Yes. Who is a per- not very famous to the greater world but very famous to some people and can fill a huge he has big sure, music for sure anthemic music yeah if if there was ever a super bowl at soldier field and he performed songs from his illinois themed yeah, album totally i would love that, that would be great someone texted huey lewis and metallica now that's another direction though you could absolutely go
1: that's another direction maybe the <laughs> do you think they
2: would fit though huey lewis and metallica i have no Again, idea it's all about I'm high risk high reward
1: up. right okay I was thinking about the person who texted Metallica earlier. I think an interesting with my clearly I'm going to go for the very complicated, high risk, high reward mashup. That might be the direction Snoop and Metallica.
2: Yeah, I could see that.
1: You know, that would be kind of fun. I could see that working. <laughs> Snoop also works at just about anything.
2: Metallica keeps coming up. I actually would keep an eye out for them in, in years to come. I, I could, could see, see that. that. Happening.
1: And as you said, I'm surprised that hasn't. There must be a good reason for it. Well, good grief. We're already out of time, Griffin. How did that happen? It has been a pleasure. We have got to go to break. We got to get you the news, all that good stuff. Back in a bit here on 720 WGN.